You are listening to a sermon from Gateway Foursquare Church in Campbell River, BC. We are so glad that you joined us today and trust that the Lord will speak a word directly to you as you listen. To learn more about Gateway, find out what's happening, or to give a gift online, check us out at www.gatewayfoursquare.ca. You are welcome to join us in person each week at 9 and 11 a.m. Now get ready. Here is this week's message. Hey, well, good morning. Uh, it's really good to be with you this morning. And uh, so as you know, probably saw the social media posts and uh, probably some word of mouth. So we're, we're actually going to be starting a conversation this morning. Well, really not starting the conversation. I'm sure there's lots of conversation previously, but continuing the conversation on the topic of divine healing. So that's where we're going this morning. Uh, most of you probably knew that. And if you're, if you're visiting, glad you're here. If you're your regular church here, glad you're here. And uh, a couple of things I want to say just as we get into this uh, topic. Firstly, it's extremely difficult to do a ser- one sermon on healing. I mean, there's so many things in the Bible about this topic that I am actually not going to be able to say right now, but despite really wanting to. And so I have to choose kind of, uh, you know, what, what do we want to, what, what is it that I'm going to say today, knowing that I'm going to have to leave a bunch of things out. So that's why I want to say one, one sermon, one message can't really do this. It, it, it really is something that, I mean, there's so many scriptures about this. There's so much theology. There's so many questions, right? How many of you guys read this healing passages of the New Testament and the Old Testament? You guys read those? Show of hands, most of us. Okay, so, yeah, all right. So if you're like me, you read these things, and you want, you know, as you read these accounts, these healings and miracles, a lot of the body of Christ, like there's these questions that arise as we, as we read these things, right? We look at um, these accounts, and some of the questions are, well, God, is this, is this for today? Like, do you still want to do this, or is this something that was just part of the Bible? Um, you know, what's God's will for this stuff, for healing? Is this something that he desires to do? Is it his will? Is it his will sometimes, but not all the time? You know, and, and, and what's the purpose of this? Like, how, what should we expect with this? How come people don't get healed sometimes? Like, there's all these questions. How many of you have asked at least one or two of those questions when you've read those passages? Okay, yeah, me too. Um, so anyway, we, w- my goal this morning, what I want to do is just, I, again, I can't go through, I'm not going to answer all those questions. But what I want to do, like my heart right now this morning is to just give a little bit of an overview on this topic of divine healing. And just kind of, my hope is that we just get a bit of an understanding of what is God's heart and his desire and his intention. What You know, just looking at what does the Bible in general just say on this. And I'm hoping that that just will build our faith and our expectation. Because I actually think that this is a very significant topic, actually particularly for this church. Um, you know, when Matt and I were talking about doing a service like this, um, uh, th- th- I actually had an interesting kind of this picture that came to my mind, this impression, internal picture. And I, s- I saw the Lord looking over Campbell River, and in his arms was all these people that were, you know, were deaf or blind or crippled or sick or tormented or suffering or addicted. There's all these broken and suffering people in Jesus' arms. And he was looking down on the church, the churches of Campbell River. And he was kind of, where can I send these people? And I actually saw this church kind of stand up and raise their hand and say, Lord, send them here. We will be a place that will receive these people, that will pray for them, will care for them. And the other churches will too, but that's not just this church. but, But there was just something, there was a yes in the heart of this church as God asked that question. And so I think, I think that God is actually giving us, this community here, 
probably the church in Campbell River at large, but specifically for this community, I think God is giving an invitation saying, will you, will, will you receive these people? Will you be a Holy Spirit emergency room where I can send the broken and the hurting and the suffering? And when you pray for them, will you believe for them? Will you lay hands on them and care for them? And I think our answer is yes. Uh, and before you do say yes, I do think that it probably is going to think, you know, when you say yes to something like that, it, cha- it can change culture. You know, it can offend some religion. You know, we're used to showing up and everyone's put together and, you know, all has a, cars and two cars in a house. And, you know, sometimes the church can be a little homogenized, but are we willing to allow it, God to change the culture and actually receive those? You remember the par- the banquet? There's Jesus told this parable of the banquet, and there was a um, the master of the banquet kind of invited all his friends, and one guy had a yoke of oxen to tend to. Another guy said, I got to tend to my fields. And, and so no, nobody actually showed up. And so he told his servants, okay, well, go and bring the blind and the lame and the crippled and the poor and fill my banquet. And so there's a sense where there's a closeness in God's heart to the people that are broken and marginalized. There's a compassion in his heart for that. Anyway, I, I just want to say all that to say I think something as catalytic is going to happen here. I think that there's going to be a culture change. I think that God wants to pour out in this area of healing, restoration, and deliverance. So that's my opening spiel. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to, uh, my notes, by the way, are like four sermons. So I have to, <laughs> I'm probably not going to rely on them too much. But um, here's the other thing I want to say when we talk about this topic. I, I'm very aware that everybody here, we all have different uh, experiences. Uh, we all have different you know, some, actually some of those experiences are good, some are bad with healing. Some of us have different, been taught different things, have different theology. And so this is actually quite a challenging topic to talk about in the church. There's a lot of people in the church who have been actually suffered spiritual abuse in healing ministry or have been accused or actually have suffered a lot of pain and hurt through bad theology or, or promises that weren't fulfilled. And so some of us actually are here this morning. We're like, I don't even want to talk about this. You know, I'm, it's a miracle I'm sitting here right now listening to you. Some of us are like, why don't we preach on this every Sunday? You know, let's go. I'm ready. And so we we have these different backgrounds, these different levels of expectation or some different experiences. So I want to just say that that that's okay. And here's here's what I want to what I, what I'm kind of hoping for here today in this and in tonight is that just no matter what happens, that we just kind of get this picture of a compassionate God who loves us. And, you know, we may not have it all worked out and all perfect, but um, that we just feel welcomed and accepted. And we actually just don't, you know, uh, just have our faith inspired as, as we look at God's nature and his will in the word of God. So anyway, I just wanted to say that as well before we open up. So uh, diving in here, if you have a Bible with you, you can crack it open. I'm just going to open my notes here. Uh, So we'll just start off in Genesis chapter 2. You can open up there. I'm just going to do a couple of, uh, just kind of work through a couple of broad points. So here's the first thing that I think is really important to talk about when we're we're talking about healing is that number one God's nature is to give life. Would you agree with that? 
Okay, we've all read, uh, we've all read uh, in Genesis 2, you know, the creation of, all th- the creation of man actually is here. Uh, and it actually says, if you I mean, meditate on this verse for a moment, but it says the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and listen to this, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The ruach of God, same word for spirit. The spirit of God was breathed into Adam who was formed from the dust of the ground and he became a living man. Now, you know, we've read that, we all went to Sunday school, well, not all of us, but some of us went to Sunday school and, you know, did all the Adam and Eve and the serpent and the apples and all that stuff. But um, in this, this is verse here that is so profound. If you take a moment and meditate on this, that it is God who gives life. He breathes life. Like, it's his nature to give life, right? He created all things. He breathed, like, you know, look at creation, it's like, the sea is teeming with life and the plants, like the whole world is full of life when God is finished with it. And this is breath, his very essence, breathe into man, which gives life. And so what you'll notice here is as he creates man, and as we're in the Garden of Eden, the very first scene of humanity before the fall, you have man and then later woman comes along and they're, they're living in this perfect harmony relationship with God in Eden. And they're designed to live forever with God. Do you agree with that? You guys have read Genesis 1 and 2 and 3? Okay, so what, anyone know what's, what's in the garden that they're eating from that's helping them live longer and longer and forever? Anyone remember? Yes, it would be a little interactive here. <laughs> tree of life, correct. There's two trees by name. There's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There's the tree of life. And as they eat of the tree of life, it's sustaining life. And God's design originally is that they would live in perfect life and relationship with each other and with God for eternity, forever. It was, right. In fact, we know that because later on after the fall, God actually kicks them out of the garden, and the reason is, he says the reason. He says, we, we, we should send him out of the garden lest he eat of the tree of life and live forever in his sinful state. So did you know there was actually an act of God's grace to introduce death and to remove man from the garden so that we weren't eternally stuck in sin? Uh, so think about that for a moment. But anyway, so, but here's the thing. Man was designed to live in life with God for eternity, and there was no sickness and disease. There's no sickness or affliction or disease or suffering or demonization. None of these things exist in the garden. They're not part of God's design. So sickness and disease is kind of like, it's, it's byproducts of the fall. It's like the sin, because it says this. Look at verse, um, uh, a little bit later on here. Um, Okay, so verse 16, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Right. You're awake. Good. (laughs) Uh, Right, so in the day you eat the tree of the, the, the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Sin brought about Death, death entered into the world and corruption. The world became corrupted by sin. It became it's subject to death and decay and destruction at the fall when sin entered in. There's a great verse actually in Romans uh, 5, 12. You don't have to flip there. Basically it says that sin came through one man and death came through sin and death spread to all mankind because all sinned. So we are all under this curse of death at the fall and of which sickness and disease and afflictions and infirmities, these are all byproducts of the fall and they're not part of God's original design. Are you with me so far? Okay. 
So here's, here's the next point. That, that God, everyone know that there's a redemptive story of God happening all the way from Genesis, all the way to Revelation. God, basically the, what the Bible is, is the unfolding narrative of God's redemptive plan for creation, right? And so um, basically what God is doing is what he had in the beginning in Eden. If you go all the way to the end of Revelation, Revelation 21, it's actually a restoration of Eden. He's, he's, the whole redemptive plan of God is bringing us back into that right relationship with God where we live just like they did in Eden. It's like a restoration of Eden that we read about in Matthew, uh, or sorry, Revelation 21. And so healing is actually part, a significant part, of God's redemptive plan for mankind. Okay, so what I want to do is take a look here at the ministry of Jesus and look at a few little snapshots of Jesus in doing healings because you're going to find out that healings was a significant part of what Jesus did. In fact, if you have your Bible there, flip over to Matthew chapter 4, verse 23, and we're going to take a look at the ministry of Jesus and the significance of the ministry of Jesus as part of God's unfolding redemptive plan. So we all know Jesus came in the flesh, and, and the, his reason for coming was primarily that he would work his way to Jerusalem and, and that he would give his life. It actually says, greater love has none than he who lays his life down for his friends. Jesus willfully surrendered his life in the crucifixion. He was resurrected. He ascended, and in so doing, he, he conquered sin and death in the grave and provided a way for us to be forgiven through his atoning sacrifice. Right? That's his ultimate mission. We all know that. That's that's the fundamental message of the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. But, but how many of you know that if, Jesus, if that was the only thing Jesus was going to do, he could have come the week before, saddled up on the donkey, get the Hosanna leaves out and come into Jerusalem. That could have all happened in, you know, six, seven days or something. You get it, you know, but Jesus actually spent about three years on the earth walking with uh, with people and dwelling among them, made his dwelling among us. So begs the question, well, what was the significance of Jesus being here with us for three years? And so I want to look at, uh, there's a description Matthew gives of Jesus' earthly ministry, and he kind of gives what I think is a bit of like a summary mission statement of just the things Jesus did for those three years. His earthly ministry is in verse 23. Look at this, it says, um, and he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Great crowds followed him from Galilee and Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. So... This, this, by the way, a little earlier, it actually just says, I think it's in verse 17, talks about how this, at this particular time, from this, from that time, Jesus began to preach. This is talking about the beginning of Jesus' ministry is actually this chapter, verse 17. And later here, he gives, Matthew just gives a description of what are the, what are the kind of three things Jesus is doing in his earthly ministry. And it's proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. He's teaching about the kingdom of heaven and about God in the synagogues. And he's healing every disease and affliction among the people. This is a significant piece. It's one of three major components of the ministry of Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? That's interesting. Healing is so significant in the ministry of Jesus. Now, now, why, why is that significant? Well, well, firstly, uh, Jesus, if you understand, like, when Jesus comes announcing the kingdom of heaven, you have to understand what that would sound like if you're a Jewish person living in the first century in Israel, 
right? Because the Israelites, we all know this, had a promise of the coming, well, what did they, anyone know? What did the, the promise of the coming Messiah, right. Does anyone know, like, the, the Messiah is a king that Israel expected. Just to give a couple of points on this. So back in 2 Samuel 7, David is there, and he kind of decides he wants to, you know, they've been having this tent in the backyard. They've been doing worship, and he's like, well, I got this nice house with cedar beams and hot tubs everywhere. We should build a nice house for the Lord. He's like, we should get a temple, go in stones, and, and make it very ornate. And the prophet Nathan comes and said, and, and actually through the prophet Nathan, the Lord says, well, you, you would establish for me a permanent house. Well, it's interesting. Then the Lord flips that on David and says, I'm actually going to make your house permanent, and from your offspring... I will bring forth a king who is going to sit on your throne forever. And in, and in, we read in Daniel 7, you know, Daniel sees this vision of one like the son of man coming before the ancient of days. And he comes and it says it was, it was given to him to rule, to have dominion and rulership over all the nations of the world forever. So, I mean, this, imagine reading these as a first century Jewish person. They go, well, we got a king coming. You know, they've had kings before, lots of them who failed. Well, there's one who's going to come. He's going to sit on David's throne. He's going to usher in the, new, the kingdom in its fullness. And he is going to uh, proclaim the kingdom of heaven. And he's going to rule forever over all the nations of the world. That's the summary of what they expected in the Messiah. So when Jesus comes and he starts announcing the kingdom of heaven is here... He's basically saying to them, that Messiah that you've all read about and heard the prophets speak about, he's here. The kingdom of heaven is coming upon you. Now, um, one of the things that, uh, that the prophets spoke about, that ways they would recognize the Messiah, is actually through some of the works that he would do. So really quickly, go to Matthew chapter 11. Uh, I want to show this here. So th this is a little scene where John the Baptist is actually sitting. He'd been arrested and he's in prison. Now, interestingly, John the Baptist had disciples and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus a question. And listen to what he asks. It's in verse three. Uh, so John's disciples go to Jesus and they say, are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? So John the Baptist sends his disciples to basically ask Jesus, that language there, the expected one, the one who is to come, that's unmistakable language referring to the coming king, the Messiah of God who will establish God's kingdom forever. Are you, and John's saying, are you him? Which, by the way, um, I don't believe John's actually having a crisis of faith here. I think he knows full well. Does everyone remember that when, before, when Jesus showed up on the scene and read the baptism of John, he says, there's one whose sandals I'm not fit to untie. And he, you know, he, John understood his role is that he would be the announcing voice of the coming Messiah. And he recognized Jesus. Not only that, John the Baptist saw the spirit descend on him like a dove in Matthew chapter 3. Am I right? Like the, so John the Baptist, I don't think he's got any question in his mind. There's something interesting going on here, which I don't really have time to explain, but one of the things that the Messiah was described to, the expected one would do is actually preach the good news to the poor, set free the captive, and release from darkness the prisoner. So I actually think John's referencing kind of this expected messianic term, referring to some of the prophecies that say, are you the one who's going to come? Like, are you going to do this stuff? Are you going to set free the captive? I actually think John the Baptist is asking Jesus, are you going to get me out of prison? Is what I think is going on here. And so are you the expected one? Are you going to do this stuff? Isaiah 61, and preach the good news, bind up the brokenhearted, set free the captive, release from darkness the prisoner, proclaim the favorable year of the Lord? 
And listen, look at Jesus' response. This is amazing. Jesus quotes some of these prophecies about the Messiah. He says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the good news preached to them. Blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Wow, interesting. Did you notice what Jesus left out? He didn't say, set free the captive, release from darkness the prisoner. And then he says, blessed is the one who's not offended on me. I think Jesus answered him and said, you're not getting out of prison. And I think that explains the next part because it says when they, you know, you kind of get the sense of the crowds in sort of this bewilderment and Jesus sort of addresses them. He's like, well, what did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Well, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft, you know, so he starts to kind of, I think there's an unspoken kind of like gasp of the crowd, like, what? You know, they probably all know what's going on here. Anyway, I'm sort of getting like way off track, so I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to bring it back. So the point is, when Jesus is asked, are you the Messiah? Are you the expected king of Israel who's going to rule the nations forever? His answer is, look at the works that I do. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The good news is preached. And these are things that are fulfillments of the prophecies about the things that Messiah would do. And namely, the ones he's quoting here is Isaiah 61 and Isaiah 35. So I'm not going to go read it right now, but if you read Isaiah 35, it talks about the salvation of God coming and springs of water streaming in the wilderness. And then the, the, the deaf will hear and the blind will see and the lame will leap like a deer. It describes the works of the Messiah. When, and this is how you're going to recognize him when he comes on the scene. So bring that all together here so Jesus is coming he proclaims the kingdom he's the fulfillment of the Messiah of Israel and he is he's revealed through these works through signs and wonders and miracles and so Jesus went about all kinds of places does anyone know how many narrative accounts of healing there are by Jesus there's more of the disciples but uh, that's a trick question. I don't expect that you went and counted them all. I did, though. <laughs> there's, there's actually 31 narrative accounts of Jesus doing healings. And I, I miss more verses that talk about Jesus. Like, he went over there and healed people, or he went and healed people in that region. There's other, he did much more than this. But there's 31 where you get a bit of the details and a narrative that explains a little bit, like, what happened, where he was. And now, those are sometimes repeated three times in the Gospels and so on. So there's, like, I think it's around 57 verses if you go read them all but there's 31 times and listen listen to this out of the 31 times there are eight times eight of those where it says there were crowds that came to Jesus like we're talking anyone remember the feeding of the 5,000 right has everyone heard this you know there's 5,000 men they actually counted the men it didn't include the children, the wives, probably more like 15,000 or something like 12,000 or something like that. There's a massive crowd. And did you know that it says when that crowd came, that's one of the places where it says, and Jesus healed all their sick or the sick that was among them. We're talking potentially hundreds of people, maybe even thousands. When you do that 31 times, in eight of those, there's groups of people, crowds of people, and it says he healed them all. What you end up finding out when you read through the Gospels is Jesus performed literally hundreds, if not thousands, of healings. Every single place he went. And now here's another thing to point out. Jesus never told somebody, oh, by the way, no, 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 your sickness, you need to actually keep that because it's going to be this wonderful work of righteousness and produce righteousness and holiness in your life. 
Jesus never recognized sickness as an agent that had any benefit in someone's life. In fact, what Jesus did recognize is that it was, the, it was actually something that's part of the fall, something he came to restore and redeem, and it's actually something that's even the works of the realm of darkness. Right, so Jesus never once saw a benefit of sickness. He never said, you actually, you know, your sickness is working all things for good for those of you who love God. You know, he, he didn't say that. He didn't expect anyone to keep their sickness. In fact, every single person who came to Jesus for healing, he said, he, he didn't turn away with the exception of one, which is my favorite healing story, which I'm not going to get into because it's going to be a big sidetrack. Uh, but it's in Matthew 15, the Canaanite woman. She comes, and Jesus didn't, you know, first he ignores her. Then he basically tells her to get lost, and I didn't come for you, and it's not right even what you're asking. She wants healing for her daughter. And, but, but she presses, and she worships, and she even calls. She's not, a, she's not a Jewish person, but she even calls him the son of David, the, the messianic language. And she uses that to describe Jesus, and, and she presses in, and Jesus says, woman, you have great faith. So even the one where it kind of seemed like he said no a few times, eventually she just pressed in with faith, and Jesus actually called it great faith, and he said, woman, it will be to you according to your desire. And her daughter was made well. It's the only time you get the sense of Jesus turning somebody away, but again, he only did it to tell faith of all those thousands of times there's no indication that Jesus ever said no or turned somebody away who needed healing 100% of the time he healed those people who needed healing 100% of the time here's another thing he never did he never told them that it wasn't the right timing you know, he never said, oh, by the way, uh, no, sorry, this is going to happen next month because, you know, your three doctors need to be there and they're all going to get saved when they see this happen. That can, I mean, sometimes that's how things work. But Jesus never told anybody this is an issue of timing. And do you know what else he never told anybody? That you didn't get healed because of your lack of faith. He never accused a sick, suffering, or dying person for, that they didn't get healed because they themselves lacked faith, not a single example out of hundreds or thousands in the Bible. Now, some of you are like, hold on, hold on, no, no, no. I, I know that part where Jesus says, do you believe I can do this? And then the two blind men said, yes. And he said, your faith has made you well. Or some of these other places, right? There's times where Jesus would acknowledge if the person had a real genuine faith. There's sometimes when people demonstrated the most incredible faith, right? right? You have these friends who came up on the roof. The crowd was so big, they couldn't get their paralytic friend to Jesus. So instead, Luke 5, they go in, they remove the tiles of the roof. They're so drastic in their actions. Did God get their friend before Jesus? And Jesus actually when he saw their faith, it says, they took this extreme actions to, to get in the presence of Jesus for their friend. Or the woman in Matthew 9, when she crawls through the crowd and she just, if she says, if I could just touch the hem of Jesus' garment, then I will be healed. And Jesus says, woman, you're, because of your faith, your faith has made you well. So there are times when Jesus acknowledges that people have faith, but he never actually really expected or required people to have faith in order to be healed. In fact, there's two examples, one of which we're going to look at here intently. In fact, let's just do that. Let's go to Luke 13. And I just wanted this, this passage here is, so healing is part of God's redemptive plan. It revealed Jesus as Messiah. It was a characteristic of the coming kingdom. But it, it is also, did you know healing is framed in the Bible as a work of God's justice? So look at this, Luke 13, this is my second, well, it's tied for first, this one and the woman, Matthew 15. These are my two favorite ones. I love this passage. So flip over to chapter, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 13, verse 10. Uh, 
Okay, here's what it says. Now, he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over. She could not fully straighten herself. Okay, so pause here for a minute. So you have, so first of all, he shows up basically what is like church for us. We have the pastor and you have church. Well, back then the synagogue, the synagogue ruler was sort of equivalent to a modern day pastor. It was where the community of the people of God would gather to sit under the teaching of the scrolls and and of the Old Testament. And they would gather together. And this woman is at church. She shows up in the synagogue. She was as a Jewish woman. And it says she has a spirit, a disabling spirit. So firstly, uh, it tells you sometimes, everybody say sometimes, thank you, not all the time, sometimes sicknesses, diseases, conditions, afflictions, sometimes they're actually a spirit. Sometimes it's a spirit, which actually tells you there is a very strong link between sickness and disease and Satan and the demonic. In fact, there's plenty of times where it talks about the works of Satan are sicknesses, diseases, afflictions, and so on. We may or may not look at that. Acts 10.38, look it up later. It says Jesus healed all who were oppressed by the devil. It even frames some of the works, sickness and disease, as being works of the devil. So sometimes it's a spirit. But here's the important thing. It's not always a spirit, so don't assume that every sickness is a demon. That's actually not true. Uh, Sometimes it is, and in this case, it is. This is a woman, and so this woman's been disabled. In fact, Luke, by the way, it's very fascinating. Luke, who wrote this gospel, he's a medical doctor, Uh, and when he writes this, he actually uses medical terminology. It's sort of like this reverse hunchback thing. I think it's understood to be sort of something like a mass of bone or, or, you know, something at the base of her spine prevented her from standing up. So there's actually even some medical language in here. It's a real physical condition, but it was caused by the presence of a demonic spirit. So look at this. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. Now, let me ask you a question. Did, he, did, did you think this woman, who's been bound for 18 years with a disabling spirit, did she just suddenly expect and have faith herself that, oh, I think in the next five minutes, I'm probably going to be healed? Like, or do, do you think there's any expectation on this woman that she's about to be healed at all? No, I don't think so either. There's nothing. Imagine like someone just sitting up in front of church and then, you know, Matt comes over and is like, woman, you're set free. Boom. And she falls over. Well, what happened? He gets up like, oh, my sickness is gone. There's no expectation that this woman has that she's about to be healed. And yet Jesus walks up to her and tells her, woman, you are free. And immediately she's healed. After 18 years of being crippled, she stands upright. So that tells you right there that the person who's sick, it doesn't matter if they have faith or not. Actually, you don't actually need faith to be healed. But the person praying needs to have faith. But you, if you're sick, the obligation of faith is actually not on you. There's another place, John uh, John chapter 5. You can read that one, the man at the pool of Bethesda. Same thing, 38 years, this guy's crippled. Jesus says, get up. It's just, it's over. And so, and same with uh, Acts 3. There's the man at the gate called Beautiful. He's been there for many years. And Peter and John just lift him up. So several places where people just get healed. They had no expectation or faith that they're about to get healed. So if you've ever been taught that you have to have faith to be healed... 
I personally believe that's unbiblical on the basis of the scriptures I just read you. Now, you can have faith, and absolutely, as believers, let's have faith. Let's, like, let's read these things and convince ourselves the will of God and the heart of God for healing. But if you don't get healed, it's not because of your lack of faith. You just need to hear that. And if anyone's ever been under that condemnation, I break that off of you right now in the name of Jesus. And you are free to just know that God is a good, loving, and compassionate God. You don't earn healing. It's not, you don't have to work for it. It is a free gift that's given. I'll tell you what, Lazarus, do you think he had any faith to get up out of that tomb? Probably not. <laughs> mic drop moment. No, I'm just kidding. I actually don't know sure when you should drop a mic. Just tell me if I should and I'll. <laughs> anyway, so, so Jesus says, woman, you're set free of your, your disability. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight, glorified God. But listen to this. The ruler of the synagogue was indignant. He was angry, he was frustrated, upset because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Now there's some teaching in the Pharisaical circles that the reason Messiah hasn't come is because we're not honoring the Sabbath. You know, different rabbis would have different yokes, the things they felt were the most important commands of the word of God. And many of them felt, this, particularly the Pharisees, believed that the Sabbath, keeping it holy, was the greatest commandment. Other than love the Lord, the Shema is the greatest, but the second commandment is like it. They, Jesus says, love your neighbor. They would have said, keep the Sabbath, you know, keep it holy. And they believed, actually, if you look in some of the history, the Pharisees believed if they could keep two Sabbaths in a row perfectly with everybody in Israel, then Messiah would return. So that's why they're so zealous on don't, nobody work on the Sabbath. You can't, uh, you know, filter your loose leaf tea on the Sabbath, all this stuff. You can't do any of that. So they were very zealous about the, the Sabbath, right? So they're upset. You just, you just delayed us again. You just did a work on the Sabbath. So they're upset. They're frustrated, very religious in their zeal about the Sabbath. But listen to this. This is probably, everybody pay close attention. If you tuned me out for the last five minutes, that's totally fine. But now dial back in. This is an important moment. He says, uh, the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from a manger, and you will lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound these 18 years, should she not be loosed from her bond on the Sabbath day? So that is so significant. So here's one thing you get. You get the passion of Jesus and the justice heart of Jesus shining through in this. And, you know, I picture him, like, just looking at the synagogue leader, leader appealing to your, 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 just your, your plain sense of what is right and what is good. Like, you know, he's saying to him, you over there, you'll go and untie the rope for your donkey so that it can go have a drink. But this woman who's been tied up by Satan for 18 years, you won't un untie her. And she's a daughter of Abraham, you know, worth more than many sparrows, Jesus said donkeys probably too. Anyway, but she's a daughter of Abraham. He just appeals to the rational, logical mind of understanding what is the heart or nature of God. So you just get this sense of Jesus depicting the heart of the Father who wants freedom, who wants healing, and who wants life for his people. Amen? Amen. Now, there's one other passage. I'm not going to spend some time on it, but go and read Matthew chapter 12. We're going to skip over it quickly. But Matthew chapter 12 is another place where it says, same thing, Jesus healed on the Sabbath. And it says he went away, and actually a crowd from there followed him. He healed the man with the withered hand. And then it said a crowd followed him, and it said he healed all who were in that crowd. And then Matthew writes in chapter 12, he says, this was to fulfill... Okay, follow me here. This is to fulfill. So Jesus, again, leaves the synagogue. Several people follow him. 
He heals them all, and it says that act of healing those people was to fulfill what is written in the prophet Isaiah. Now, the, the chapter of Isaiah that he quotes is Isaiah 42. It's one of the messianic prophecies of who the Messiah was. He's going to look like when he comes. And it says, Behold my, my chosen servant on whom my spirit rests. He will proclaim justice to the nations. You know, it talks about how a smoldering... Or, or, uh, um, what is it? A smoldering wick he will not stuff out, a bruised reed he will not break, until he leads justice to victory, and, the, and in him the Gentiles will put their hope. So he's so so the point of saying that is just like in Luke 13, Matthew 12, these the healing is an expression of God's justice. Did you know like the, the passage that predicts that the Messiah would do works of justice is fulfilled when Jesus heals the sick? Are you with me? Did anyone catch it? I won't do it again, but just go back and listen to the tape if it went over. But, but Jesus, healing is an expression of God's justice and his mercy. Here's the last kind of major point I want to make on the ministry of Jesus is, and this is probably um, one of the theologically the most significant point, I would say, is that, um, as I mentioned, uh, healing is something that Jesus demonstrates the kingdom of, of God, and it actually it is guaranteed for every single believer in heaven, in eternity, in, in relationship with God at the resurrection. So 100%, it is God's will for healing, and it will happen at the resurrection in its fullness. That's, that's just undisputed. And again, you can read Revelation 21. We're not going to go there just for the sake of time. But basically, it says that, you know, the, the, there's being the new, the new Jerusalem will come down. They're in heaven. And it says there'll be no, they'll wipe, God will wipe every tear. There'll be no more suffering. There'll be no more pain and affliction. Like the, the description of the kingdom of God in its fullness is there is no pain. There's no sickness. There's no disease, affliction, torment, demonization. These things are part of the old way. But Jesus said, behold, I make all things new and that's the fullness of that okay so so God's redemptive plan is working towards every single person who is in relationship with him who will live eternally with him will be healed okay and here, here's what's really significant is Jesus actually paid for this on the cross okay so some of you already know this but if, if you if this if you haven't heard this before I want to flip open to Matthew chapter 8 uh, well, first, Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. And then we're going to look at Matthew chapter 8, verses 16 and 17. Okay, Isaiah 53. We're all familiar with this passage. Surely he took up our infirmities, carried our sorrows, yet we considered him smitten, stricken by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment or the chastisement that brought us peace is upon him, and by his wounds you are healed. You all heard that verse before? It's the prophecy of the crucifixion of Jesus. So significant. Well, here's the interesting thing. In verse 4, that it, it, Isaiah says, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Now, if you go look at the, the Hebrew words there, it's an interesting word study. But infirmities and sorrows is physical sickness, disease, affliction, probably including demonization as well. Jesus bore in his body sickness and disease as well as sin. So he became sin for us, that we can become the righteousness of God. He became sickness for us, so that we could become healed and walk in the life that he has for us. And here's, here's Matthew's commentary on that. Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 16, it says, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. 
is one of those places where they brought, you know, crowds, many who were oppressed and sick. He cast out evil spirits with the word. He healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Interesting. So Matthew, when he quotes it, he's actually quoting, I think it's out of the Septuagint. That's the Greek version of the Old Testament. He quotes, but what, what it says, in, when it says infirmities and sorrows, well, Matthew says, no, that's actually referring to illnesses and sicknesses. So do you understand when it comes to thinking through, you know, healing and how does this fit in the will of God? Jesus wants to heal you so much that he died on the cross and actually took all your sickness and infirmity and affliction in his body and he died so that you could be free from it. Right? Psalm 103. Everyone knows Psalm 103 says, Forget, uh, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is with me, within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities and heals all your diseases. So even what Jesus did with sin, that he forgave sin, he did the same with sickness and disease. It's in the atonement, it's in the cross of Christ. He dealt with sickness and disease. So the, the whole work of healing is actually already accomplished. Jesus Jesus has fully paid for your healing. You don't need to give money to get healed. It's not a sowing and reaping thing. You don't need to beg God or be righteous enough or good. Like he paid for it freely by dying on the cross. So not only can you be forgiven of, of sin, but you can be healed of sickness and disease. So that brings me to the last final point. How much time? Do I, have? I have no idea how long I've been going. Okay. Uh, I'll try and do this in like, I, I, am I like, anyway, I'll, I'll try and be short. I'll try. Everybody good? I know I'm talking fast. People, my friends all call me a fire hydrant. Sometimes you turn me on, I just, I just hose you all down. There's towels in the back if you, uh, no, just kidding. Uh, but anyway, so um, very quickly, here's the, here's the fundamental question. If, okay, so Tim, if everything you said is true, Jesus, so I've just shown you that, that, that healing is an expression of the kingdom. I've shown you that it's part of God's redemptive plan. I've shown you that it is something that Jesus bore on the cross and, and that is an expression of his justice and his nature as a life-giving God. So when you read all that, you can come away and can we all agree that God's will seems like it is to heal people? Would you all agree with that? Amen. Okay. And he is going to heal all people in eternity for sure. But the question is, do, why, firstly, do, should we expect it 100% here and now? And why don't we see it? How many of you, that's like a tough question. Yeah, it's difficult, right? Because I just proved to you all, you say, oh, it's his will. Yet, I mean, how many of you have prayed for, his heal, prayed for the sake of seeing healing? Just put up a hand if you've done that before. Oh, awesome. How many of those same people, keep, keep your hands up, those, those people, keep your hands up if you've also prayed for somebody and they weren't healed? Yeah, they, me too. Uh, totally. And it's like, I mean, I, people like Heidi Baker, you know, Heidi Baker, you guys have heard of her. She's in Africa, Mozambique. They will go to a village. They'll bring, you know, maybe a hundred sick people come. Every single deaf person gets healed, a, a whole bunch of sickness. But then there's like two or three guys that don't get healed. They're like, well, I don't know. And they just kind of say, well, we'll pray for you tomorrow. Well, do you think they had a crisis of faith after just seeing every deaf person receive their hearing and all this? Like, and these are real, by the way. You can, like, these are real accounts. And it, like, it's, it's not that they, she suddenly had this crisis of faith. There's something else going on. It's not that the people lacked faith. It's not that, oh, they don't, I didn't. Like, actually, Randy Clark one time was with John Wimber. He told this story. They, they did a healing meeting one night, and every single person, as far as they could tell, every single person they prayed for was healed. It was an incredible night. Then they have another healing meeting the next night, and not a single person 
got healed. And Randy went to John Wimber and he said, hey, John, I have a question for you. I want to talk to you about something. And John Wimber looked at him and said, Randy, I know the question you're going to ask. You're going to ask, why did we see everybody get healed this night? And then we show up tonight and nobody got healed. He's like, yeah, that's, that's what I want to know. He's like, well, here's a couple things I can tell you. My faith is the same tonight as it was last night. Didn't change. I didn't suddenly have a crisis of faith. Uh-oh, does God not want to do this? Like that, None of that happened. I didn't know my, my, my righteousness hasn't changed. I haven't fallen into sin. There's been no major issues like that since last night. He said, all I can tell you is that I, I believe the word of God. I show up. I stretch out my hand. I pray for people the best that I know how, and the results are up to God. And wh- wh- whatever happens, I, I, that's up to him. I don't know. But he said, but I can tell you, it's the same thing I did tonight as last night. And so there's this mystery. Sometimes this doesn't happen. So, and it really does beg a little bit of an explanation. Like we, we, there's some, it demands some kind of answer. Well, why, Lord, if this is your will, why don't we see it 100%? And I'm going to tell you a secret. You are not going to see it 100% because no healing ministry in the world sees this happen 100%. There's not one example. And some of them are actually seeing 9 out of 10, like 90 or 95 out of 100 consistently. There's some very, like, so it's certainly way more than we're all think. Like, this can happen so much more than we think it can. But we're never going to see it as 100%. So why? Well, let me ask you this question. Is it God's will to, to help the poor and feed the hungry? Does anyone have any doubt or question in their heart as to whether or not that is God's will? 100%. If you see a guy on the street, he's hungry. Do you have to say, well, Jesus, is it your will that I give him a sandwich? I, can you speak to me? Like, you just don't need to do that, right? The Bible told you, give to the one who's in need, right? To, to the one who asked to lend, don't refuse. Like, the, get, the one who's thirsty, you know, I was sick and you came and visited me. I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. Jesus commends them for these things. There's just a, 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 it's his will that we go out and help those who are suffering and who are poor and impoverished and, and are hungry or thirsty, homeless, right? It, like, there's no question but listen to this interesting verse. Jesus is at the house, and they, the woman comes with the alabaster jar. She opens it up of pure nard, which, by the way, is about $40,000 worth of perfume. Pretty extravagant. Pours it over Jesus' head. And this extravagant offering of worship, and Jesus basically commends her. You know, you have done a great thing. You prepared me for my burial, and your testimony will be remembered. But then there's somebody, I think it's Judas, or I don't know if it says Judas, but it's one of the apostles. Well, this money could have been used to help the poor. You know, it was just kind of this offense in the heart of this uh, apostle, which I think is Judas. And Jesus made an interesting statement. And he wasn't necessarily talking about eschatology. He was just, he was saying, the poor you will always have among you, but you will not always have me. Okay, interesting. So is it God's will that we, that we help the poor, that we feed the hungry? Yes. Are we ever going to satisfy that problem 100%? No. There's a partiality to what we experience now. In fact, last point. How many, okay, I'm good. Two minutes. <laughs> First Corinthians 13, right? I actually turn there. First Corinthians 13. First Corinthians 13. Starting in verse 8. It's this famous passage, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So, yeah, by the way, in heaven, you will not be able to speak in tongues. It says right here, just so you know. Uh, tongues will cease. Knowledge will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Did everybody hear what I just said? 
the ministry of spiritual gifts are actually by design, partial and imperfect and not all the time. How many know prophets who can accurately say the very words of God every time they speak? Exactly. How many people know people with gifts of discernment who perfectly know every evil thing and every good thing in the entire world? Doesn't exist. These things are partial. That includes gifts and ministries of healing and miracles. These things are by design actually not supposed to work 100%. And some of you are like, what? Didn't you just say this is the will of God? Doesn't Jesus die on the cross for this? 100%. In the same way that it's God's will to help the poor, it is his will to help the sick and the afflicted and the tormented. This is God's will. And guess what? You don't, I'll be honest with you, you don't need to stand there and ask God, should I pray for this person? Is it your will? It is his will. Just the same way you don't have to ask him if you need to give a hungry guy a sandwich. Just give him the sandwich. 100%. It's God's will to heal all the time. But there's this tension, this mystery that he says you're not going to see this 100%. And there's going to be a partiality to your experience. So where does that leave us? Okay, here's, here's, what, here's, what I, here's what I want us to land. I hope you are inspired to realize that God is a compassionate, loving, life-giving God who's working out his redemptive plan, who paid for your healing on the cross. It is his will. Amen? Amen. But I also want you to know that there's going to be a partiality to this. And if we pray for healing and it doesn't happen right away... That doesn't, we're not going to, here's what we're not going to do as a community. We're not going to change our theology by, well, I guess it wasn't God's will. No. It says clearly in the word of God, it is, it is his will. So you know what I do? I actually just pray again tomorrow. I said, oh, I don't know, like, I, but I'll pray for you again tomorrow. In fact, I will annoy you with prayer every day until you're healed or you ask me to stop. In fact, I'm going to tell a quick story and then I'm going to close. Uh, I had this church, we were at this church in Ontario, which by the way, we grew up in a conservative church. Our denomination didn't even believe the sign gifts existed. And so um, we really didn't talk about this. We all thought it was horrible and bad. People got spiritually abused and lost their money to televangelists. That's what healing was for us. And uh, and so anyway, I, I kind of, the Lord took me on a journey, which I'm not going to tell you right now, but it took me on a journey of opening up the scripture to me. I just like read stuff I'd never seen there before. Anyway, so I read this passage. I, told, I mentioned to you earlier, it's the woman in Cana who goes to Jesus and he tells her, he ignores her. Then she asks again, heal my daughter. Then he says, I didn't come for you. I came for the lost sheep of Israel. And then she calls him son of David, worships him. And he says, it's not right to give the children's bread to the little dogs. In fact, a very offensive statement to her. But she says, do not even the little dogs eat the crumbs from the children's table. And Jesus called that great faith. Well, there was a woman in our church in Ontario. And she, it was medically impossible for her to bear children. She had uh, an issue where, you know, the not to get like too... Um, you know, science class here, but if you have the, the uterine lining, you know, the cushion or whatever, it was too thin. So whenever she would conceive, the, the, the baby could not actually latch on, and it just every time it would just abort, and she just couldn't get pregnant. She had tried for 11 years, and it was medically impossible for her to get pregnant. And yet, she had this deep desire in her heart. She said, I just want to be a mother so much. And she's like, I, I know I can adopt, and I, and I, you know, she looked at that, but she's like, but I, I, just, I really want to have children. I want to raise a children and I want to have children from the Lord. And it was just a deep desire. And she said to me, uh, I started talking to her about this. She said, you know, a lot of my friends told me that I really am not, wouldn't be a good mother. She actually said, because she, she actually is a phenomenal lawyer. She does like corporate law and she's like apparently a bulldog in court. Just like, anyways, quite funny. But uh, so she's got this very bold personality. And she, so people say, well, you know, you're probably not a very good mother. So that's why the Lord's not giving you children. That was a deeply hurtful and offensive statement to her. 
And so she just had, I remember, you know, tearfully saying, like, this is just a deep desire, and I've been so hurt with what people, how people have interpreted God's will in this area. And I said, I don't believe that at all. I think if you have a desire that God has given you to have children, that's 100% your will. Here's what I'm going to do. I, will, I told her the story of the Canaanite woman, Matthew 15, and I said, I will pray for you every single Sunday. Every single Sunday, I'm not going to take 20 minutes. I'm going to, it'll be like a 10 second, hey, you want to do the prayer? Okay, be healed. And then we're going to get some coffee. But I will do that every single Sunday. And I will do that week in and week out. I will go for years if you want me to. In fact, you'll probably get annoyed by me and ask me to give up before I'll give up. Like, I'm committed to this for you. And she's like, really? Oh, yeah. So we did that. We, we went, and it was probably a couple months, actually. And I just met her several times. And sometimes she wasn't there or I wasn't there. But at the times we were both there, I'd go up to her and I'd say, hey, can we do that prayer? And she said, yeah. And I would just be like, in the name of Jesus, I command your uterus be healed, that you'll conceive children. Amen. All right, let's get a coffee. We go. And it was just all it was. And we did this for months. And all of a sudden, she was able, finally, her, that, that issue got resolved. She was healed. She was able to conceive children. She actually had, now has three children today. And she was miraculously healed of something that was medically impossible. So here's what we're not going to do. When, it does, when we see the partiality, we don't see it happen. We're not going to get offended at God. We're going to be like the woman who presses into Jesus and worships him, even if it seems like it's a no. Right? We're going to be convinced of what the word of God says on the matter. Amen. And then we're just going to not give up because sometimes faith is perseverance. And if we don't get healed, then just pray. We'll pray for you again tomorrow. And if you don't get healed tomorrow, we'll pray for you the next. And we'll just, I will keep going <laughs> until this stuff. Because I'm telling you, all you can do, everybody in this room, all you can do is stretch out your hand. You can pray and you can believe. And by the way, you don't have to clench your teeth and your fists to have faith. You can't make faith happen. Did you know that? You actually, faith, the, the word means it's God-given. You cannot produce one single iota of faith. You can be, you can just decide, make a decision to believe, and God will supply you the faith. Whoa. Whoa. The devil doesn't like that one. I don't know what happened. Yeah, so... I'm actually serious. The devil did. <laughs> anyway, you cannot clench your fist anytime. I used to do that. I was like, how do I do Mark 11? How do I just believe and be decided that it's going to happen? Well, it helps if God tells you. So sometimes there's things like word of knowledge. We're going to talk. We have one little short message tonight just talk about how this ministry actually works and what it looks like. So I'm not going to get into that now. Uh, but sometimes God will speak. He'll help you. But the thing is, sometimes faith is just perseverance and not giving up. That's one of the expressions of faith. Sometimes it's desperation. Sometimes it's, so you just get a hold of the word of God and then you just keep going on it. Exactly. So everyone feel like, man, I feel like we should see some more healings in this community. Everyone feel inspired? I hope, I hope you are. Because it's, it's the word of God, right? And his word is true. It's right and true. It endures to the ages. So I'd like to have you stand. I'm going to pray for you. We're not going to have worship here at the end. We're just going to pray, and then we'll uh, maybe put some worship music on, and you can talk to amongst one another. Here's the other thing I'm going to say. We're going to have a healing service tonight. I invite you to come back. It is at 6.30. I didn't know what time it was. 6.30. We're going to have a few songs, and we're going to leave a large portion of time, and we're going to pray. And I tell you, I will stay as late as I need you to pray for anybody who needs prayer. 
And we have a prayer team who's going to be here helping out as well. So we're going to do that tonight. And we're going to expect God to do healings and miracles. And I just trust he's going to show up and do that. So looking forward to it. So come back tonight. If you can't make it tonight and you're here and you have a physical need in your body, I'm going to have the prayer team people come up and just come up and find one of them or me. And we would like to pray for you to make sure you can receive prayer for healing if you need it and you can't come tonight. If you can come tonight, you know, let the people come who can't first. And then, you know, we'll still pray for you if you want. But come tonight. So, um, everybody just hold your hands out. There are people in this room who have received prophetic words from God that they are called to this ministry. And in fact, sometimes it's hard to believe because it felt like it hasn't actually fully ever happened. So, Lord, I want to pray for right now for those who have heard your voice and who feel called to this ministry. Lord, I ask you that right now, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we just say, Holy Spirit, according to your will, according to your purposes, would you now even release gifts of healings and workings of miracles and words of knowledge, discerning of spirits? Would you release the gifts into these people who know they've been called, and yet you know they're, they're tarrying, they're waiting, they're praying, and have not yet seen uh, some of your promises fulfilled? Lord, I just say, let this be a day where the promises of God be begin to see their fulfillment. Lord, that you would release your Holy Spirit, that you would fill these people with your Holy Spirit and release gifts of healings and workings of miracles. Lord, do this in the church. For those of us who are not necessarily called to that ministry as a primary thing, well, there's plenty of times where the disciples just went out and did it, laid hands on the sick and they saw them healed. So I pray that all of us would have a new fervency and a boldness to stretch out our hand to pray the prayer of faith that makes the sick person well and to lay hands on the sick that they might recover. Lord, I pray that in this church, it would be like a Holy Spirit emergency room that the blind and the deaf and the, the, the crippled and the addicted and the suffering and the afflicted would come here and meet Jesus Christ, our healer, that they would experience the redemption of God and the renewal of God and the restoration of God. Lord, pour out your spirit upon this people. Do your mighty works, Lord. It's not about us. It's about your kingdom being expressed. It's about the nature of God being demonstrated. It's about the justice of God taking place. Come, Holy Spirit, fill this people, bless this house, bless this church, and bless the churches of Campbell River. We pray the same thing be poured out on the churches of Campbell River and of our region. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We trust that the Lord has something great in store for you. Do you have a question or a prayer request? Send an email to info at gatewayfoursquare.ca or find us on Facebook at GatewayCR. Don't forget we gather each Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. at 403 Fifth Avenue here in beautiful Campbell River. Have a great day.